so encouraged earlier, standing at the back, worshipping. Firstly, just watching all of you. Uh, you are a lovely bunch, I have to say. <laughs> it's so good to see your faces, really. Just, it's been weeks of, um, just of not being together, of disruption, but just to come and see each one of your faces. You are a lovely bunch, and you're a lover of Jesus as well. And just to see how you worship is beautiful. Um, and then out of the back, we hear the kids um, shouting, Fire! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what is happening there, but, um, you know, that, that's what I'm, my message for this morning is, is that. It's, I've, I've called it Hearts on Fire, and um, I'm sure you're glad that we've moved the, the startup time a little bit on, so it wasn't too cold here, um, but I think we would like uh, Hearts of Fire. I think we'd like a bit of a Pentecost moment today as well, a real flame that comes and heats us, right? <laughs> Uh, although some of you are under the mushroom heater there, so, um, but there's a picture, look around and look at one of the pictures the, the kids have painted at the back there, isn't that amazing? Um, uh, the Lord is speaking. So yes, yeah, so I want to speak on hearts on fire. I want to speak about hearts this morning that are passionate, uh, hearts that burn with love for Jesus and his kingdom. Because friends, he is so beautiful. He is so beautiful. And we get to experience him in these moments. And we all want that, right? Uh, we all want hearts that are on fire. We don't want to just have moments when we burn with passion for him. Moments like we've just had now in worship. Um, where the world is blurred out. I mean, we just, he, he fades into the, the world fades into the background. And we see his face and experience his tangible love. We don't want to just have moments. We experience that in moments like this, or we don't, right? Because we're distracted. Um, the beauty of God is that he's made it a free world and he's given us the choice to engage with him or not. Um, but the good news is that every single one of us have got a flame inside of us. Every single one of us that have ex uh, accepted Jesus, accepted salvation in Jesus, that have been filled with the Holy Spirit already have that flame inside of us. And so I just want to say, before we get going into the message, this is not a message to try and churn up flames and fire in your heart. You can't do that, right? The only way, so I just want to put this as a foundation at the beginning of this message. Um, the gospel foundation, it is a free gift. Our salvation is a free gift. You are completely in there's nothing to turn up and become more. That your, your starting place is Christ Jesus, right? And at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and at your, that moment in your life when the Holy Spirit was poured out into your heart, the flame is there. So it's not about trying to conjure up this flame, but there's a sense of actually submitting our lives without distraction before the Father and allowing Him to come in and, um, and to fan that into flame. Because we all surely want more. We want to go deeper. There's so much more of his kingdom that we get to, uh, get to move into. And so we just want, not for those moments just to be moments, moments in prayer or moments of worship, but for it to infiltrate every single part of our lives that we would burn for Jesus 
in every aspect of our lives. This is such a short time that we get, get together on a Sunday, friends. It can't just be these incredible moments where I'm weak in the knees. It needs to go into every part of our, our lives. Am I speaking to the right crowd? Yes, I know I am. Um, we want to be like Brother Lawrence. You know, he's that monk in the 1600s that um, was so saturated with the presence of Jesus. It says, I'm reading in this book um, on revival. It says, how he interacted with God made people from around the, around the world long to know God like he did. They would queue to watch him wash dishes because the presence of God was so strong around him. That was his job. One of his monkly duties was to wash the dishes. People used to queue to watch him because he used to do it saturated with the love of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Um, do you want someone to come watch you at your desk? <laughs> at work. Queue to watch you at your desk. Um, his friend said he found God everywhere. As much while repairing shoes as praying with the community. Isn't that such a beautiful testimony? Go get that book, Practicing the Presence of God, uh, Brother Lawrence. Amazing. But we want the presence of Jesus in every area of our lives. Surely, friends, not just these little moments. You know, isn't it so um, powerful and captivating when you see somebody burning with passion? It's, very, it's captivating, right? It makes you want to grow. It makes you want to be more. It makes you want to do more when you, when you watch somebody that's just burning with passion. I remember um, on our wedding day, we were very much in love. And um, we were very much in love with Jesus as well, you know. And so it was just an incredible sense of God's presence in the chapel, in St. Martin's in the Felt, and... Uh, we were in love and passionate for each other. We were passionate for Jesus. And, you know, one of the testimonies that came out at the end of that, of our, uh, after the wedding, was that one of the couples that were there wanted to go for counseling because they saw something that they wanted to get back for themselves. Isn't it amazing? When you see passion, you want it. You know, I think conversely, just seeing and seeing somebody without passion that's just flat is so sad. Um, you know, you've been to a restaurant where you see a couple, you know, sitting opposite each other, just like staring down at their food, uh, not talking. You know, the spark is gone. Isn't that so depressing when you see that? And friends, so much of the church, not us here, right? I'm not talking to you. But so much of the church has lost that spark. It's become that couple that are just maybe staring down at their food. Um, just focusing on the unimportant, the, you know, with those people that just focusing on like, what's the food like? What was the service like? What was the speed like? Am I going to come back here? Or am I not going to come back to this restaurant? And we've spoken about that before, about how so much of the church, modern day church has become this restaurant of like, well, what's the kids church like? What is the, the ministry? What's the worship? Okay. Am I going to come back? or I'm not going to come back based on, on that. And instead of Focusing on the person that's directly opposite you, staring into their eyes with passion. And so, friends, we need to focus more on the who and not the how of church, of life, how we do church, how we do life, who we do church with, who we do life with is the, 
um, the thing that we need to focus on. You know, in a manner of speaking, our food should get cold as we're just captivated by the person opposite us. We're captivated by him in worship. Like, we forget about, was it, was it good uh, coffee or not? Or was it good worship or not at church? Because we're so captivated uh, with the fire in our bride's eyes, the fire in our groom's eyes, that it, it sort of bores you know, into the deepest part of your souls. We read in, uh, in Song of Songs uh, 4 verse 9, the bridegroom to the bride speaking, Jesus speaking to us. This is his words to us uh, from the, the Passion Translation of Song of Songs 4 verse 9. For you reach into my heart with one flash of your eyes, I am undone by your love. My beloved, my equal, my bride, you leave me breathless. I am overcome by merely a glance from your worshipping eyes. For you have stolen my heart. That's our bridegroom. That's how he looks at us. And that's why it's so easy when we actually encounter him, when we encounter his gaze, when we experience that fiery love, for us to look back at him with equal fire and passion. Because we've seen how he looks at us. We can't just hear about it from a pulpit. We need to experience it for ourselves. The same way that Jailer uh, experienced it, um, holding Paul and Silas in prison. Friends, Paul and Silas weren't just worshipping in prison that night because um, it was a good thing to do, right? Um, they weren't worshipping at midnight in jail out of a sense of duty. It was from a place of desire and passion. Um, you know, shame. All they had done that day was cast a demon out of a girl, right? That's a good thing, right? Noble thing, right? But the next thing they find themselves stripped, stripped naked, beaten, thrown in prison, uh, feet in stocks. Not exactly, I think, the outcome they were hoping for from casting a demon out. That would seem to be a good thing, right? Uh, not a good day of ministry, but Yet in that inner place, in that inner prison, from their innermost beings, they worshipped. It explodes from like this deep place of love and passion. From that inner place, they worship. And it says all the prisoners were listening to them at midnight. Can you imagine how intrigued they must have been by these two? Having observed, people stripped naked, put in prison, they were experiencing the same thing. And yet these people are worshipping into the night. Acts 16, we, let, let me read. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. It's not exactly the normal prison scene break that you see in the movies, right? When somebody opens the gates and they're all open and everyone rushes out. They were all there. Can you imagine that? All of the prisoners, so captivated by what's going on, that they, they, remain, um, they remain in the prison. 
It says, And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his whole family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, it says, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Friends, that jailer didn't just hear about some God. He met with God. He experienced the power of God for himself um, from a place of being terrified because of what's going down, about to take his life. From that place of ter be in terror, it says they shared the word of the Lord with him. They shared the gospel with him. And what was the result of that? He rejoiced. Can you imagine the atmosphere of love and the presence of Jesus that would captivate an entire jail to stay put the jailer to give his life. The jailer, not just to leave it there, but to then go and wake up his whole house early hours of the morning. Dad's back from work. Wake up, you know, and the whole house gets saved and, and baptized. He experienced for himself the reality and the love of Jesus. The reality of the gospel. Friends, is there anything more powerful than watching somebody who burns with passion for something? like watching Paul and Silas in prison. There is. It's when you, yourself, burn with passion, and that's coming from the inside out, right? Um, we love watching a... Oh, not love, it's, we've watched a couple of them. It's called, on Netflix, called Abstract, The Art of Design. It's a documentary on all different di um, disciplines of design, from uh, stage design to architecture to... Um, illustration to footwear design, but it's basically highlighting people that are top in their field, and it's so it's made so beautifully and it's so inspirational. Um, the dedication and the passion that people that have given themselves to design, and we watched one recently on shoe design, um, a guy called Tinker Hatfield who designs for Nike, and um, Jude straight after that he's like, yes, okay, now he's going and he's designing shoes, right? You observe. And you get inspired and you want to do that. But how much better to be Tinker Hatfield that has that burning desire and passion that's just sculpted a whole um, world for himself. So I wanted to tell you a story about John Wesley. You've all heard of him. Um, it's a story about him who knew about God, knew of him, but then he encounters them. And then what that encounter actually leads to in his life. I don't know if you remember, do any of you recall Vida talking about the, the Moravians setting up that colony in uh, Herrenhut in Germany, um, 1727. They ended up starting a community uh, via, through a prayer meeting, which became a world record prayer meeting, 24-7 uh, prayer for 100 years, right? Um, amazing community. Uh, amazing revival that started there. And they start, they, from that place, they sent out over the years 300 missionaries all over the world. And it's on one of these, uh, one of these trips where they go out um, that Wesley is on, on the ship with them. Okay. 
So I'm reading from just an excerpt from this book. It said, one such team bumped into an unsaved Anglican missionary. Unsaved missionary. Born on the 17th of June, 1703, and now 32, he was on board the ship to America. In contrast to the English, the Moravians never complained when struck or pushed. On Sunday evening, January 18, 1736, in a deck service during a storm, a wave broke over the deck of the Simmons, split the mainsail in pieces and covered the decks. A terrible screaming began among the English. Yet the Germans, the Moravians, calmly sang on in that service. Doesn't that sound familiar? Jesus in the storm? Um, it's like a Jesus reaction versus a human reaction. You know? It's a I'm filled with Jesus reaction versus I'm all alone. Um, amazing. Um, and he says to, it says that would-be missionary asked one of them afterwards to the Moravians, were you not afraid? And the, the, the German answered, I thank God, no. He says to him, but were you not your woman and your children afraid? And he replied, our woman and children are not afraid to die. How captivated, how real, how saturated must you be that in the place of facing death, you don't, um, you don't, the, the women and children don't even, not the women and children, can I say for, I would say our days, our children don't even fear, are, are worried because they've just got such a sense of confidence um, in, what, in who Jesus is. This rocks him to the core because he was terrified and he realized like, I don't have what they have. And it starts him asking these Moravians for advice. And it actually ends up in quite an embarrassing um, situation where the Moravians are like, well, don't you believe that Jesus died for you? Don't you believe that Jesus died to take away your sin? And he replied sheepishly, yes, no, I do believe that he died for my sin. He knew it all, right? Yet it says, like, in the inner part of him, he knew that he, he didn't have, he didn't have that. He didn't have what they had. And so he goes to America. And then on the 24th of, of January, 1738, on the Samuel's homeward voyage, after an utter failure in Georgia as a missionary, Wesley, the crestfallen English minister, recorded in his diary, I went to America to convert the Indians. But oh, who shall convert me? Isn't that a powerful statement? goes on, it is now two years and four months since I left my native country in order to teach the Georgian Indians the nature of Christianity. But what have I learned of myself in the meantime? Why, what I least suspected, that I who went to America to convert others was never myself converted to God. starts him on a process of looking and wanting on a search on a journey. And it says, three months later, he's now back in, uh, in, in Europe, sitting, listening to Martin Luther's preface to the Romans. He's listening to this preacher. He records in his diary, about a quarter to nine, while he, the minister, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Friends, that's British, that's old English talk for my heart was set on fire, right? <laughs> my heart was strangely warmed. Um, and he was set on fire at that moment. He says, I felt I did trust Christ. 
Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Friends, we can't just know about God. We can't just do things for God. He doesn't need anyone to do anything for him. Like go on these quests as a missionary when you don't even know him or do all the good things you want to do because we think we have to do something for him. Like Wesley, we need to feel our hearts strangely warmed for ourselves. Because when we are arrested by his love, it changes everything. We stop doing things for God from a sense of duty and we start doing um, things from a place of passion for him. It was said of Wesley, um, after his encounter with God, he woke the next morning with Jesus in his heart and on his lips. This began the ministry of a man who rose at 4 a.m. and was preaching at 5 a.m. to working men, uh, so working men could attend services. During the next 52 years, from 1739 to 1791, he traveled 250,000 kilometers, uh, miles, that's like over 400,000 kilometers, mostly on horseback. Not first-class travel for ministers, hey? On horseback. Um, think about how long it's taken you to do 400,000 Ks in your car, right? Um, and preached over 40,000 sermons. Friends, he moved from a place of duty where all he could achieve as a missionary was failure to being led by passion. And you've heard that statement that lovers get more done than workers. Have you heard that? It consumed all of who he was. It affected every single area of his life, not just his church life. It says of him, in those years, traveling some 25 miles a day, uh, open brackets, 10 circuits of the globe on horseback, close brackets, he wrote 230 books on all sorts of subjects, not just Christianity, including home health remedies. Primitive medicine, one of his, his writings, was used for over 200 years. And he wrote one of the earliest um, manuscripts on electricity. Amazing. A contemporary remarked that those who knew his travels wondered he had time to write. And those who knew his writings wondered he had time to travel. It's a man of unbelievable passion driven by passion and not duty. It says one day he was condensing old divinity, publishing 50 volumes of theology called the Christian Library and writing a complete commentary on the Bible. Another day we find him calmly reviewing the current literature of the day and criticizing all the new books with cool and shrewd remarks as if he had nothing else to do. He composes with his brother Charles Wesley over eight volumes of hymns that live to this day. Isn't it amazing watching a man burn for Jesus? Friends, I want to encourage us this morning, don't settle for anything less. This consuming fire is for you. What do we read in, um, at Pentecost? As the Spirit is poured out, Peter in his sermon to those now observing what has happened, what does he say about the Holy Spirit? He says for Acts 2.39, for the promise, the Holy Spirit, is for you. It's for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. 
And friends, I don't want to live a life that loses my passion for Jesus. That flame that is inside, that it would go out. I don't want to be like that couple on the other end of the table that started in love and have ended up with their heads bowed just because they've lost their spark. I want to encourage us this morning just to to pursue Jesus at all costs. Pursue your bridegroom with, at, with everything. Lay aside everything and, and seek him. You know, Matthew 7, 7 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. But what does he say? He says, ask, seek. And so what does seek mean? You know, there's, there's, there's different ways to seek. Um, you know, sometimes before school, Jude is looking for, uh, like, Jude, find your tracksuit pants. You've got sport this afternoon. And he comes back, now he's looked everywhere. Can't find it. Um, and we're like, it's become a joke in the house. I'm like, Jude, pretend it's an Easter egg. <laughs> because when there's an Easter egg to be found, oh my goodness, do you turn on everything upside down and you find that thing, every single last one of them, right? There's a difference in the way we seek. I want to encourage us just to seek him with no distractions, with determination. Peter goes on to say in Acts uh, 2.40, I think it is, he says, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Friends, like the early church, we still live in a crooked generation uh, with so many distractions. There's so many things these days that vie for our attention, um, yet you've still got that flame going. But when you put aside those distractions, it gives space for that, fu- that uh, fla- flame to be fanned up bright. Um, I love what Kirsty said last week in her preach that we did over, over Facebook. I stopped uh, while listening and I, I wrote this down. She said, we are either being molded by the Holy Spirit or we being deformed by the world. And she said, actually, that's not what she meant, but I stopped, it, it had an impact on me. And she said, that's not what she meant to say. She meant to say, we're either being molded by the Holy Spirit, or we're being molded um, by the world. But I quite like the, the first part, because it's actually, we, the world takes things that are beautiful and deforms them. All the precious things in life. And... Um, just a quick funny side story in terms of world versus God. Um, sometimes when I'm writing my, um, I don't always type, I sometimes dictate and it, you know, speech to text thing. Um, and so the world will give you, so I, I dictated that first part in my sermon where I said, what did I say? I have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So that's what I said out loud. And then I read it, you know, because you always have to check, like autocorrect. And it said, I've been baptized by the very stressed. <laughs> Isn't that true? The, the world gives, the, God gives us the Holy Spirit when we submit ourselves to Him. And when we submit ourselves to the world, what gets translated? Very stressed, right? Um, but friends, we all know about the parable of the sower. You know, the seed that was sown on the path, uh, the rocky ground, and the thorns. And um, let's yield our hearts to Him that we would um, not let the busyness of life choke away uh, the amazing thing that he is busy planting in this time. This amazing thing that the Lord has been doing over COVID, what got planted, 
and everybody said everything is going to change. The church is changing, and if you're not careful, we just stickle back into the, the you know into the world, and we just allow the cares of this world to choke that, and it doesn't bear fruit. Uh, yet our heart here is to bear 30, 60, 100 fold fruit, right? Friends, let's search him or seek after him like that merchant we read of in Matthew, the pearl merchant, who upon discovering that pearl goes and sells everything to go after that. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When we seek his kingdom, we gain everything because we gain him. It says all these things will be added to you. Everything that he knows you need before you even ask gets added to you as we seek after his kingdom. Can we stand? I want to I finish off with, with reading something. Peter, Alicia, maybe you guys can come. Um, Phil and Bron. I love the way we took time out earlier just to give the Holy Spirit time to move. Can we do that for a second? Can we close our eyes and just ask Jesus to come and set our hearts on fire? Friends, He's the only one that can do it. This is a, a sermon of an, an invitation that's a, um, it's not an invitation to, to heaviness, to um, oh, I wish I was more filled with his fire. No, it, it comes from a yielding. It comes by looking at our bridegroom in the eyes and seeing the way he sees you, responding to this incredible good news that has set us free from the things that used to hold us down, that used to keep us in depression and heaviness and um, death. It's a call to glory. It's a call to surrender. It's a call to receive the gift. Friends, can we respond to the invitation of Jesus today? invitation just let's I want to read out of Song of Songs 8 verse 6 this is the groom to us fasten me upon your heart as a seal of fire forevermore this living consuming flame will seal you as my prisoner of love my passion is stronger than the chains of death and the grave all-consuming as the very flashes of fire from the burning heart of God Place this fierce, unrelenting fire over your entire being. Rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. Endless floods will be unable to quench this raging fire that burns within you. Everything will be consumed. It will stop at nothing as you yield everything to this furious fire until it won't even seem like a sacrifice anymore. Sometimes things feel like a sacrifice. It says, until it won't even seem like a sacrifice to you anymore. Why? Because love has gripped hold of your heart. His passion, love, straight from heaven has gripped hold of your heart. And you become a, a, 
passionate love for Jesus. And lovers get more done than workers. So Holy Spirit, we, we acknowledge our full dependence on you. We come into this glorious kingdom through a gift and we get sustained by a gift. So we just acknowledge you here in this place and we say, Holy Spirit, come and do what you do best. Come and breathe your life. Father, some, some maybe don't need passion this, this morning in their hearts. Some of us maybe just need your, just an, an assurance of your love. We need to see your eyes looking down upon us, Jesus, right now where our hearts grow strangely warm because what used to be words become reality, becomes real. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do that right now. Just right across this place, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and make it real. Make things that people have heard about, even hearing about your love and maybe we've gone, grown cold. Let it become real again. Come and fan that flame into fire. Come and do what only you can do, Spirit of God. Come and pour yourself out. Like at Pentecost, they waited. Here we come and wait. We wait to come and do what you do. To fill us, to baptize us in your love. 